Shabbat Shalom. So uh, this sermon's going to be something different, I hope. That's the intention, at least. It's about TV. It used to be when people spoke about TV, it was something negative. It won't be. As a child of the 70s, I grew up watching TV with certain shows and certain ways. Ways that I admit are radically different from the way that people watch TV today. The first thing is, is that there was a TV in the house. I mean a, as in one TV. (laughs) There was a room where the TV was in, it was called a TV room. It was a special room. It would be years later until TV started appearing in bedrooms and other rooms in the house. The other thing was, is that the weekly delivery of a TV guide that came with your newspaper. People are nodding their heads. Now, this guide would show all the coming week's programming along with the time schedules and program descriptions. To this day, I can still hear my father yelling, who took the TV guide? Because instead of reading the cereal box for breakfast in the morning, the TV guide was so much better. Now, people like to say that the Internet destroyed the newspaper industry, but I believe that once cable boxes started showing the program guide for the coming week, that killed it. And the last thing that comes to my mind is about timing. When a show was broadcast, that was it. There was no pause, there was no recording, there was no time shifting to catch it later. Maybe, just maybe, there might be a rerun later in the week, but more often than not, if you missed it, you missed it. But today in the Netflix world, I watch my kids watching TV in their bedrooms, from their computers, at every hour of the day. No one misses anything anymore. So that all said, May 28th was a big day in my calendar. Because May the 28th was a North American Netflix debut of Fowder's second season. The show Fowder for the Uninitiated is an Israeli production. Its creators this past year were signed by Netflix to not only produce season three before season two even premiered, but also two other yet unnamed productions. When you think about it, I am always surprised by just how much Israeli TV makes its way to our part of the world. Or if you think of it this way, Israel is a country of 8 million people and has more TV shows in North America than Denmark, Sweden, and Finland combined. Britain, Britain, which has eight times the population of Israel, more or less matches Israeli TV production in North America with Downton Abbey, Call the Midwife, and other shows like that. The classic HBO show, In Treatment, was based on an acclaimed Israeli TV show called Batipul. The show Homeland, which now I think is in its 25th season. Carrie is on her medication, she's off her medication, I can't follow it anymore. Was based on the Israeli show about how hostages return from home, it's called Chatufim. In each of these cases, the actual Israeli show was discarded at a new show filmed with North American actors. But not Fauda. Fauda is different. The North American executives of Netflix must have realized that there was just no way anyone but the original cast could do it. 
Fauda is the story of an elite undercover, undercover unit in the Israeli army that operates inside the Palestinian territories to infiltrate and disrupt terror activities before they occur. The operatives are all fluent in Palestinian Arabic and in their customs. To add to all this, the lead character, Doron, is played by an actual former member of that unit himself. His name is Lior Raz. Doron in the show is a tortured character. He retired after a traumatic failure in season one, and he is called back to avenge his nemesis and right his failure. But Doron's curse is one that most of us are familiar with. Because even after he succeeds in assassinating the terrorist leader, Daron is again faced with more failure. And the twinning of failure and success are deeply woven into the plot of the show. Because we see that every success by the Israeli team also gives birth to failure. A terrorist leader is killed, but a new one, a more radical one, emerges to take his place. An operation is successful, but one of the team comes back traumatized, never able to be operational again. We see micro-successes and macro-failures, and we see it happen over and over again. And rather than it becoming mundane or boring, we are drawn into it ever deeper because it replicates a reality that we know so well. Because in our own lives, we know this to be the case too. A promotion brings more income and more prestige, but also more stress and time at work. Our kids mature and grow, but now we start to worry over their choices and their future. New chapters opening your lives as we grow older, but we worry if we can make the most of them, along with the people that we are with. Daron's marriage falls apart, and the person he knows himself to be is left in tatters through a series of personal and operational choices that he makes. Daron is a bomb that destroys everything around him except himself. And with that, season two begins. Fauda is a sensation in Israel. The season two premiere was held at a VIP event only in Tel Aviv. But it is also a sensation in the Palestinian territories. And I've asked myself over and over again, why that is. As in, why would a story about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict be so popular in the place where the conflict is actually raging? I mean, isn't entertainment supposed to be about escapism, of getting away from whatever hell you happen to be living in? Well, the first thing is, is for most Israelis, the reality of what takes place to keep them safe is far from their eyes. A walk along the boardwalk in Tel Aviv is all the proof that you'll ever need. It's not that Israelis aren't aware of the dangers. It's just that most of them have very little intimate reality with the efforts themselves. Nearly all Israelis serve in the army, but most of them never go to a combat unit. Israelis aren't a collection of Goliaths, but people who are rightly and deeply fearful of being destroyed by their neighbors. And Fauda shows us that for all of its power, Israel is a country framed by that fear. And for most Palestinians, what Israelis undertake, both physically, emotionally, and morally, to keep themselves safe is far from their eyes too. Fauda also lays illusions to bear for us to see. Most Palestinians are not monsters. 
They're humans who are simmering in anger. And the show shows us that even the worst of them have families that that they deeply love and care for. But it also reveals a deeper truth. In one scene, the head of the Palestinian Intelligence Command takes his son on a day trip to Yafo, to Jaffa. He can go because of his influence and connections. And they're overlooking the Mediterranean, surrounded by hotels and people. He tells his son, do you really think that you're going to wipe all of this away? He tells them, none of this is going away. Which is to say that the despair and humiliation the Palestinians feel won't be addressed by attacking Israel because Israel won't be cowed or destroyed. Episode after episode has Israeli operatives whisking themselves in and out of the West Bank and we see just how easy it is for them to blend in. They have dark skin, dark hair, Middle Eastern affectations and attitudes and it shows us both Israelis and Palestinians, just how similar we are to each other. You know, the time was that the old joke in Israel went like this, that Israel was filled with wasps, white, atheist, socialist paratroopers. Now, if that was ever true, it certainly isn't anymore. But the joke tells the story of Jewish Europeans that came to the land of Israel as strangers from another world, to come into a land that was deeply strange, which I think is a story that we know all too well. The Torah portion, in fact, that we read this morning tells us of the Israelites on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Unsure and nervous, they ask to dispatch spies who would go out to the land and bring back a report on the quality of its land, the food, the water, and the strength of the people who are already living there. What happens is a biblical-like Fauda episode. Chaos breaks loose in the spies who are so profoundly influenced by their fear of what might be report of a land that cannot be lived in. Yes, they say the land is beautiful. And yes, they say the produce is exceedingly rich and good. But we ourselves cannot take hold of it. This land, these slaves say, is beyond us. God must have lied. So for the next 40 years, they are remanded to to die wandering in the desert. And then bizarrely, the Torah concludes the story not only with a moral lesson. The Torah concludes the story bizarrely by telling us of a mitzvah, of one commandment in the wake of the story. It commands us that on our four-cornered garments that we are to attach knotted threads to each and every one of them. We call them tzitzit, and we wear them to this very day on the talitot that adorn us in our prayers. The Torah then goes on to command us that on each of the four corners there must be a thread that is made of blue. By tradition, we no longer know where this dye comes from, So our talitot no longer has a blue thread in it. But that blue, we are told, must match the color of the sky itself, telling us that we should look upon these threads and they should remind us not to be pulled astray by our heart or our eyes, 
But why would it be that one of these threads must be blue? Because blue is the color of heaven. And our tradition asked, yes, long before Bashian psychology, that we should look upon the threads and realize that the demand of our lives isn't to see the world as we are. But we are asked to see the world as it should be. That the color blue is a reminder of heaven's call. The spies fail to do that. But each and every time we hold these threads in our hand, we reaffirm the ancient hope that theirs is a mistake that you and I will not repeat. That we will, we will be granted the courage to believe of what can happen. The process is to put the talit on, but the purpose is to ask the question if the cycle can be broke. So why is Fauda so popular in the very place where the chaos comes from? Yes, it is well written, ex excellently produced, coupled with brilliant and passionate acting, but that is not the real reason. I believe that its success is because when you live and see it every day, the conflict, you become blind to it. The camera now becomes a third eye, and it can tell the story of this tragedy between two people who have nowhere else to go, who are deeply and profoundly tied with the land that they live on in a way that most people who live there cannot see from a newspaper or radio report. Fada puts the Israelis and Palestinians who watch the show right into the conflict with the hope that maybe, maybe, they can take themselves out of it. And all the while, Fowder puts aside the questions of who is right and who is wrong because it asks another, more pressing question. In episode after episode, Fowder is asking the Palestinians if they are prepared to find another way. And it asks the Israelis, us, if we are prepared to trust it. Because in the face of violence and anger, the subtle glances and the movements, the actors offer us. It says that there will be no end if their only answer to our existence is violence. In every moment, life asks you to believe not what is, but what can be. And so for all of its tragedy, I can't help but detect a thread of hope in this beautiful TV series which is all my way of saying that if you haven't seen it, you must. Shabbat Shalom.